The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and I'm here with the Dream Team, as usual. Executive producer, Bryn, who's got a little of the froggles. Uh, Sheila is manning the host controls, and Herbie is connecting us to Clubhouse. So you folks in Clubhouse, if you want to shout out uh, Dan Spoon or ask some questions of the OCO founders, uh, get those um, requests to participate up. I have two announcements this week. Um, really, really proud of a proud, a proud of a pride connection that goes live on Tuesday night at 10 p.m. right here on um, ACB Media One and on all your major podcast catchers right after. And this week's topic is ageism in the workplace. But we went into some conversation about VR and, and you know, what it's like to go through the stages of work, you know, when you're young and aggressive and ambitious. And when you get to that stage where you kind of in that place where you want to be for the rest of your career and what that looks like, too. And of course, ageism is all around us. And unfortunately, it's in the workplace, too. So please check out that episode I also want to invite JC to unmute for a moment to tell us about his podcast because he and his team will be back here on the 23rd to talk with us. But um, JC, where can they find your podcast in the meantime? All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, you're hearing me for a split second. Uh, I'll have to be on mute again. But real quick, if you guys want to find my podcast, apart from other ACB uh, community functions I do, you heard me on karaoke, but I also have a podcast. You can find it by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a couple of other platforms, but Apple Podcast is the way to go for iOS and macOS folks. You can go to there and search for VisionCast with jc and friends and it's not a and d mind you it's the and symbol so if you type in vision cast with jc and sign friends you'll be able to find it and without giving too much information it's going to be a good show and i do want to humbly thank anthony for agreeing to do this and i'm looking forward to taking your questions or comments on the day when it approaches so thanks anthony and back to you you're welcome. Thank you. And you can catch me on um, two of your episodes, two of your podcasts. So if you go into the back catalog, you might find a familiar voice or two. But definitely check out the podcast. It's a lot of fun and um, pretty informative, too. Before we get into the main event, I definitely want to say to everybody, if you did not have the opportunity to hear karaoke last night, I'm going to petition Rick and Larry to see if we can get some times for when it's going to replay, because it was utterly phenomenal. The theme was stretch yourself or come out of your comfort zone. And I wish I could shout out every amazing performance. 
But I mean, killer standouts were our very own Belinda Collins with some pour some sugar on me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Colby rapped. Colby did a little Snoop Dogg. And if you didn't hear it, you really, really, really want to hear that. Um, Herbie was there last night. JC was there last night. I did a little Broadway Whitney Houston medley. So um, it was it was just a phenomenal evening of ACB talent. Well, I am very glad to welcome back to Sunday edition president. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, maybe not. Uh, interim executive director Dan Spoon. <laughs> welcome back to Sunday edition. Well, thank you, Anthony. Glad to be here. And uh, it was a great karaoke. I mean, anytime you got Ron Brooks doing rap, you know, you're you're out of your comfort zone. <laughs> Absolutely. And Ron and Lisa hosted the the middle two segments, Ron and Lisa Brooks. So that was a lot of fun, too, right? It was. You guys, sure. you and Leslie did it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's been it's been a little while now, but it's a lot. It, it, it was really enjoyable. You know, we we listen almost every Saturday night. We're, we're not singers, but we really enjoy listening to everybody. Let me ask you this. If, if you could have the voice to do one song, what would be your rock out song? Mm. Well, the the song that Leslie and I, we, we actually, um, uh, our niece sang this at our wedding and she was only 11 years old for us, uh, Jessica Laughlin now. And it's The Rose. I just love that song. And, song. and I think if you really listen to that song, it it has a lot of similarities to what people go through with a disability, you know, that you, you have to kind of work beyond that and, you know, kind of beat people's expectations and end up, you know, in the spring. Someone's the an amazing version of it a few weeks, but probably like Terry, I think Terry metals. Yes. Right. Yes. A he even sent it to Leslie it. and I, which was really cool. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So we had Deb Cook Lewis recently on the show to talk about the transition and, you know, her view, what's, you know, what she's hoping mm-hmm. will come in the next couple of months. Um, and you know, we've, we've had, we've spoken with you many, many times on Sunday edition. So I'm kind of going to skip the history Sure. and I'm, I'm hoping that you'll give us a comprehensive, how, you know, for those who weren't able to listen to the board meeting, um, how it came down and what we can expect for the next couple of months. Sure. Well, I, you know, I will say I, I wasn't part of the discussion, so it was kind of a weird situation. So when we broke for lunch uh, during the board meeting on, uh, I guess it was March 9th, Thursday, March 9th, uh, kind of the, the first thing we did as part of the in-person DC leadership conference. Uh, and so, um, you know, the, the officers and board had all kind of talked about our different options in the, uh, you know, in the really in the short term, you know, what do we do when Eric gave his notice uh, and it's taking on the, you know, really a, a great opportunity for him to be, you know, the pr- president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. We're we're in a position right now where we've got a lot of important things to get done in a pretty short period of time. So we've uh, you know, the Alexandria office lease is up here at the end of April. So there's a move, which is really going to be two moves because the new space, 
that we're moving to is not going to be ready to move into on May 1st. So we're going to have to move to temporary space in the same building and then again move on to the permanent space probably immediately following the convention. We'll just have to see how well the landlord follows through and gets the build out done. Uh, so that's a significant effort that's underway, as well as uh, the convention. So, you know, we were in the process of, of finishing up uh, both a virtual and in-person D.C. leadership conference and then in, needing to very quickly pivot to get ready for the convention in Schaumburg, which starts June 30th uh, through the 7th of July. So a lot on our plate. We've got our, our current staff um, you know, is truly maxed out on all their activities that they've got going now. So it was a little bit of, a, of an out-of-a-box approach, I think, for the board to consider kind of moving me over in an interim basis to become the executive director. But I think it does a couple of things. It allows everybody to continue to maximize their, their skills and their efforts in their current, um, you know, job assignments. And it allows um, a, a transition period for, you know, ultimately, I believe the board will, will recommend that we go out and do a national search. But I think we have some good candidates uh, in our existing staff uh, that need a little bit more exposure to some of the business uh, sides of the business. Uh, they're they're good in the areas that they function in right now, but haven't just haven't been exposed to to all the different facets of running the American Council of the Blind. And you know, with me not running for president again, which I had announced when I ran for my second term that it would be my last, there at least in the short term was an opportunity there for me to kind of roll into that position and not disrupt all the good work that was going on. Um, Luckily, uh, over the past three or four years, we have done a weekly uh, leadership, ACB leadership meeting. We call it our weekly L10 meeting on Thursday afternoons, part of the traction uh, entrepreneurial operating system process. So I've had a chance to work with pretty much all of the uh, staff over the last four years and hopefully have developed a good relationship with them. So we felt like the most important thing was not to create chaos, but to try to have a smooth transition. So long question, long answer to your question, Anthony, but it just uh, felt like this was the right thing to do. And at the same time, Deb being the first vice president and me the president for the last two years, we, we talk on an almost daily basis. So there's an opportunity there to transition the presidency over to Deb. So that's just seemed like the most, the least disruptive uh, thing to do for our organization to continue to move forward. And I think one of the things that, you know, everyday members who aren't involved in leadership positions might not understand is that you've been, you know, there through all of the pieces, especially when it comes to convention and the gala, mm -hmm. but but through all the pieces of running the American Council of Blind, all the committee meetings, all of the yep. various ADP stuff, you know, you've got your finger in every piece of it as president. So, you know, other nonprofits, this is sort of a natural progression in the nonprofit world. When something like this happens, this is what usually happens. The president will step in for a period of time or transition permanently 
But um, I think you've let us, I think you've told us more than once that you know your retirement is your retirement. This is just <laughs> <laughs> this is yes. just to get the organization to the place where it needs to be to grow and move forward. Correct. Correct. Yep. For sure. It, it, it may not be three months. It, it, it you know, it, it might be 12. We just have to see, you know, kind of how, um, uh, you know, w- what the right time to do everything is. So, so we'll be working with Deb and the officers and the board through that whole process. Absolutely. And we're going to open it up for some questions and for people to shout out a little bit. Um, but you wrote a beautiful message in the forum you know, congratulating Eric. Is there anything you want to say, you know, that you have the voice platform now? Sure. Um, it, it truly has been a, a, a joy uh, to collaborate and work with Eric uh, over the last four years as ACB president. But even beyond that, you know, he's served the American Council of Line truly for the last 15 years. He did a great job as our director of advocacy and governmental affairs. And then corporate outreach. And I was on the selection committee, you know, eight years ago when we worked uh, to decide who was going to be our next executive director to replace Melanie Brunson. And Eric just really did come to the top. He has the experience, he has the knowledge of, had the knowledge of our organization. And, you know, it was, you know, always in hindsight, you look back, you know, there was, you know, Eric was a, a very young man at that point in time and, you know, unproven at the executive director level. And he really stepped up and I think just a, did an amazing job of creating relationships with so many valued corporate partners. You know, uh, eight years ago, we did not have a good relationship with Microsoft. Now we have an outstanding relationship. Same thing with Google and Apple and uh, Meta, Facebook, whatever you want to call them, on and on down the path. The, the whole relationships that have been developed with Netflix and Amazon and Walmart. HBO Max and Walmart and Nike. And, you know, it's it's so much through Eric's uh, efforts to, to get out there and develop relationships and move the organization forward. And Anthony, I do believe we've made some progress as, as you know, you're, you're working through it right now with, you know, legislative imperatives. Uh, Eric was, you know, the, our key proponent in getting the uh, 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, the CVAA, passed in 2010. But I think what we continue to learn in the day in and day out, you can make a lot more progress in advocacy through relationships. You know, if you see what has happened with Cisco, with their voice over IP phone, that work that took place there, the relationships with uh, CVS Pharmacy, with uh, Walmart, um, you know, just on and on down that path with accessible uh, prescription drug labels. Uh, The they continued uh, build out in the audio description world uh, with all of those uh, community, per, you know, all those uh, providers there. If you become a good trusted partner, uh, you can truly, truly bring a lot of positive advocacy uh, to bear with, without, you know, legislative imperatives up. The work that we've done the last year or so with the National Institutes of Health and the 
uh, basically the NIBIB, they call it the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bio. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, it's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a big mouth. Bi- bioengineering, I believe, is the last B. And, you know, the work there with Dr. Jill uh, Hipskirt, and it, it's been amazing, you know. Um, so I think we continue to learn that it's kind of a three-legged stool, right? You've got to do your advocacy efforts uh, with your partners. You do have to do legislative imperatives because that's always where, you know, if you can change the law, you can truly have the biggest impact. But then also with the agencies on the notice for public rulemaking, and and you can have a lot of influence there. Um, So Eric has been very schooled in all of those areas and just done a fantastic job. The other area I think where he really you know, helped take us to the next level was realizing that we had to grow our revenue and from that really grow our our staff. You know, we were, you know, when Eric became executive director, I think maybe we had seven employees and two contractors. And now we have 16 employees and four contractors. So we truly have grown. Uh, our staff, which has allowed us to provide so many more services than we could before. I mean, wouldn't you think how difficult it would be to function in today's world if we didn't have Kelly Gast to help us with communications, the whole social media, pulling all that effort together, Rick Morin with ACB Media and IT, how in the world would we be doing all of these affiliate conventions if we didn't have anyone on staff like like Rick and Larry to do that. Um, you know, the, the work that has been developed with the community event platform uh, in membership with Cindy and what was Colby, you know, it's hard to imagine doing that without without with just members, right? So we always learn, I believe in ACB, that we do our best when we partner staff with volunteer members and together we have a team that works to move things forward. And I think Eric has helped a lot to, to kind of give us that balance. And uh, we're going to miss him, but we, don't, we have a really solid staff and a great set of member volunteer committees and and, and just dedicated folks. And, um, and we'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. I, I, I think we are definitely going to miss him. And I think he has left his mark. And, and one of the marks of his leadership was that he, you know, shared the knowledge and, and gave opportunity for, you know, for folks to do what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, you know, a lot of the conversations included you and him. So I think our corporate and, and um, co consumer organization partnerships will feel a little bit um, comforted by having you in the in the seat for a while. And I would imagine once a new executive director is is identified and, and brought into position, you're probably going to be around a while to help transition, especially in all of these important places. Sure, m- most certainly. And, you know, depending on how the elections go and, and all of that, I, my at least expectations are when I'm done being interim executive director, I'll be the immediate past president of the American Council of the Blind, serving on the board in that capacity. 
So we got a funny question. Um, yes. I have a couple of email questions. And one of them was, what happens to Kim? Does she get kicked out of her role for this year's convention as immediate <laughs> past president? <laughs> no, no. The board, uh, you know, made, uh, I think, the appropriate call that right now, because of the fact that I'm a member of the staff and, and unable to perform as a as a member volunteer, uh, that, that Kim will remain on as the immediate past president you know, until we have a permanent executive director. So I think that'll be, um, uh, that's good. She, she provides a lot of value, a lot of knowledge. I've learned, as all of us have, so much from Kim Charlson. Uh, you know, when, when you look at our organization, if you go all the way back, but, you know, even if you just deal with the last five, six presidents, you know, from, from Paul Edwards to, to Chris Gray to Mitch Pomerantz to Kim Charlson, uh, you know, there's so much that you get to learn uh, from folks who've been there and done it before and give you different perspectives. So uh, I think it's just a really rich resource that we have uh, to be able to uh, to get experience and um, and, and, and truly learned um, situations that happen that don't maybe happen all the time, but boy, they're they're really great to have as a resource uh, when you're ACB president and when you're also executive director. <laughs> Another member wants to know what's going to happen with the sports show. Have you guys discussed that at all? We had talked about that. You know, things got so busy and crazy here. There may be a time in the fall, you know, it, I think that could kind of be cool, you know, if we get uh, let's talk sports going again with Eric and I, and maybe we'll have little different hats, but I think that could be fun. So we've talked about it. So maybe, maybe when football season comes along, we'll get it cracked, cranked up again. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. And, and another member and my listeners know that mm -hmm. um, I am currently learning to read Braille. So this is a couple of paragraphs worth of stuff. So I'm going to sum it up by saying this member was very, very excited about the Spanish content for legislative leadership week and congratulates you for taking the initiative and the American Council of the Blind for making it happen and wants to know, are we going to see it for convention and will we see it grow with the American Council? Will more and more stuff be um, translated, simulcasted in Spanish translation? I have to get that right or Gabriel will smack me. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I... I think it was a, uh, and again, shout out to Gabriel Lopez Cafati, uh, your partner and a, and a person we all cherish so much. He really, you know, played a just a huge pivotal role in pulling this all together. Um, and it, it's just the right thing to do, Anthony, and we will continue to do more of it. We're already talking about how do we uh, have a good presence for Spanish language at the convention. Uh, we're having a meeting here in the next week or so to talk about uh, the AD Awards Gala and how that can be, um, you know, made available in Spanish as well as English. So, uh, you know, you kind of hit on things that you don't think about right away. You know, we were going to going down the path the last year of let's let's present stuff in English and then see if we can turn it into Spanish for the with a podcast later down the, the, in the road. And it just felt so much better to do it live and simulcast it in both English and Spanish. And when we kind of threw that idea out to uh, Gabriel and the Hispanic 
subcommittee of the Multicultural Affairs Committee, they were like, yes, this is the thing to do. And then, you know, Gabriel had the, the you know, next vision to say, we've got, and Cindy Hollis as well, we've got members who do this yes. professionally. Yeah. And boy, pulling in Lucy and Daniel and uh, Ioanni to do this was just, uh, it was a win-win. We all had to learn. Rick and Deb had to learn how to do it in Zoom. Uh, we had to get the uh, configuration set up. Um, what we learned through this whole process is most translators don't do simultaneous translation. They do more of conversational translation, I'll call it, where, where they're participating in a, um, uh, you know, maybe a, a situation with the IRS or Social Security where, uh, you know, the client is speaking Spanish and the administrator is speaking English and they're helping translate the conversation back and forth. Yeah. This is a different skill, you know, just think about it. As you're hearing this uh, conversation in English, you're immediately taking your brain, translating it to Spanish and keeping up with the conversation. And it's not that it lasts for a minute or two. It, it's a continuous conversation for hours at a time, right? So we had to very quickly learn that we didn't need one, uh, you know, interpreter. We needed three because people need time off to get their brain kind of rested and, and yeah. started back up again, almost like American sign language. And so uh, we learned a lot. Um, I'm sure Gabriel's talked to you about it and, and we're ready to do more. It, it was really, I thought it was great. So I'm going to turn this over to our listeners in a moment, but what um, looking over the last couple of years, what are you most proud of and sitting in the new seat? What are you most looking forward to? Well, truly what I'm the most proud of, and I, I shared this a little in the, in the, Deb and I did kind of a transition uh, article for the, um, for the May forum, which is, uh, you say goodbye, I'll say hello. <laughs> no, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> yeah. And so, but, but really, I, I felt, uh, you know, uh, Leslie laughs and says, Dan, you're the virtual president, you know, you got elected president and the pandemic hit, you know, we didn't go do anything for like two and a half years. Um, but I, I really, I was so proud of our organization and our leadership, our staff, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, people were basically frozen, right? What are we going to do? There's no way we can do a convention in person. And, you know, we just kind of threw the gauntlet out there that says, guys, why can't we do this virtually? We've got Zoom. We're, we're learning how to do things in Zoom. And the board voted at the end of March uh, to do the convention virtually, unanimously. We went board by board member and talked through it. And I really thought that was an amazing example of what the American Council of the Blind is capable of as an organization. I mean, within 90 days, we ended up with an eight-day virtual convention with 108 breakout sessions with an audio-described tour channel that our ADP folks put together with a virtual exhibit hall with a full set of general um, general sessions with a banquet. I mean, just primetime shows every night. It was just 
fantastic. And I think uh, and our how organization, many organization looked to us once we did that and said, it, how did you do it? It said, how did you do it? And oh my God, if these folks can do it, why can't we do it? So I believe we set the stage to we say, did. this is possible. And we did it and we did it well. And so that is one of the things I'm truly the most proud of is our organization coming together and, and pulling that off. And then based on that, we realized we're going to have to allow everyone to have the right to vote, whether they're at the convention or not, yeah. you know, and so at the end of that, again, I think a lot of forethought there at the end of that convention, we had a special constitution and bylaw session uh, following that to change our constitution and bylaws and allow all individuals to have a chance to vote. And we passed that 93% to 7%. And ACB doesn't pass hardly anything with that kind of a percentage. And I think, again, that's been transformative for our organization that everybody has an equal chance to participate in our democratic process, whether you're at a convention, you can afford it with your work-life balance or your financial situation. It doesn't matter. Everybody gets an opportunity to vote. And that's just the spirit of ACB. And so I'm so proud of our voting task force and our resolutions task force and all the work they did to make that possible the next year. And now we've done it twice. We've done it in a hybrid situation. There's no going back. So I thought those were really, really positive accomplishments, as well as implementing the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, and really putting a structure of accountability in our organization where we set you know, a strategic plan for one, three, and five years, and we set quarterly goals or objectives, which uh, the rocks. traction process <laughs> calls them rocks. And, and so I, I think that has been um, a, a really good accomplishment. And then I think we've really leveraged ACB media and the progress that's been made there. ACB plays a very active role in, in getting affiliate conventions on the air. Uh, and we've also really in the in the area of ACB media, we, we broadcast the BOP uh, directors meeting every month. We broadcast all of our um, all of our uh, ACB board, board of directors meetings. We had never done that before. So I think at least we've tried to be transparent and, and have everybody uh, have a chance to listen to to. Uh, you know, to the workings, uh, business workings and, and advocacy workings of, of ACB. So I'm very proud of that. And then I couldn't be more proud of what all our members came together and did by forming the community event platform out of nothing. We have built, you know, uh, a platform with a set of, of guidelines and policies, which are hard, right? You're, you're organically growing this. So you don't know what you don't know. And you're, and you're learning and developing over time. Now we have well over a hundred trained hosts. We have amazing facilitators. 
and it's the best of ACB. It's blind people helping blind people. And Cindy and Clark and I just had a chance to go to the Vision Serve Alliance Conference, and we told everybody about the community event platform. And we've got a number of rehab agencies and NIB agencies looking to get involved and get integrated into the community event platform. So I don't see it doing anything but to continuing to grow and be this just amazing asset for, for our blind and low vision community. So those are the things I'm kind of the most proud about. And uh, before I before we turn it over to questions, I just have to say thank you, thank you, thank you uh, to Leslie Spoon, my wife, <laughs> my spouse, my partner, who That's has mistress herself <laughs> has has just you know these are not easy jobs to do, and you, you can it, they're really hard to do if you don't have a su supportive partner, and and she has been there for me every step of the way, and you know we are both very dedicated to the American Council of the Blind and the Florida Council of the Blind and the Greater Orlando Council of the Blind and, and so many other things. And, and I think that's an important role too that I bring as an executive director is I'm involved. I'm involved, you know, uh, my first day of work, I, I was on I was on seven, uh, seven meetings from eight in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon. And finally I said, I got to go because we're having a Greater Orlando Council of Blind Spirit Night and I got to be up there by five o'clock. You know, so I think there's a lot of value there to, um, you know, to not only uh, understanding things at the national level, but at, at the state affiliate, special interest affiliate and, and chapter level. I think that it just gives you a different perspective. Absolutely. I don't know if you had the opportunity. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> If you had the opportunity to hear our um, interview with Deb Cook Lewis, but she's going to be listen to the second hour. She, <laughs> you guys had a great interview. I, I was going, you know, I usually go see my mom for lunch on Sunday. So I Thank caught the second hour today. when I got back. Yeah. I, I made it just in time <laughs> to get back for today. But um, yeah, it was, I thought a, a really good interview and, and I think it was very honest. And I think Deb kind of showed her vulnerable side there, which is, it's it's important, you know. Hell, I think we don't have this stuff figured out. We're learning just like everybody else. And if if you think somebody knows it all, don't 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 vote for them. Don't hire them because uh, we're all learning each and every day. We truly absolutely. Are. Yeah. Well, one thing she definitely let us know is that she will be counting on you for at least a couple of hip hip hoorays during the <laughs> convention. She is not taking that role over. That's still all yours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> so let's drill this out to Sheila and Herbie. Herbie is managing our clubhouse presence. Clubhouse, hey, how are you folks? Sheila, who is yes, our first sir. hand? Jane. Welcome back, I, Jane. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, I have to circle back briefly to karaoke. Oh, how good was it? It was fabulous for two reasons. Number one, people really did take risks. And I thought, oh my, if I ever met that person on the street, I would never know it was this person that I hear on ACB, this, that, or the other thing. Cindy Hollis did the most remarkable job of yes. 
Bobby McGee. Bobby McGee Bobby never McGee. had it so good. Oh my <laughs> God. It was anyway. And others, others did too. So I hope they come back to that theme. Um, Me the rest too. of us will take heart, step up. You never know. Um, and I love the question, what would you sing if you could be any one person? I've Now I've decided what it would be. <laughs> anyway, um, ACB. Uh, years ago, I was an, an active member, took major time outs for various reasons. Um, but I can't tell you how glad I am to be a devoted member and now a lifetime member of ACB. Mm -hmm. And I'm beginning to reach out to the Alamo Regional Council Chapel to see what I can do. But your accounts, Dan, of how you all have made connections inside and beyond the ACB parameters mm -hmm. is remarkable. So that's just keep on keeping on. And um, thank you. Thank you, Jane. Well, thank you, Jane. And, and one thing I'll, I'll add, and, and Eric uh, and Clark were very receptive of this, but when I first became president of the American Council of Blind, and you all may know uh, an individual in, in the local Central Florida area who is a, a member of the National Federation of the Blind, but has also been a member of the American Council of Blind in Orlando. Her mm -hmm. name is Sherry Brunn. And Sherry, uh, we were having like a, oh, a pool party over at Gary Sinclair's house. I don't know. And she, I was getting ready to you know, become president. She said, Dan, is there any way that ACB and NFB could work together a little closer? You know, Amen. we do it at the oh, local yeah. chapter level and it makes a mm -hmm. difference. And yes, I said, Sherry, I'll try my best. And so, um, you know, try to try to be a person of my word. And so, you know, I, I, talked to Eric and we reached out to Mark Riccobono and said, would you all consider getting together each quarter and just talking and sharing ideas for an hour on what we're working on? And that's progressed here over the last four years. And, and I think, mm -hmm. again, what you learn is we don't agree on everything. We have a different governance approach. You know, everything is not the same, but the end of the day, we represent members that are part of the blind and low vision community mm -hmm. and you see that coming together our work together on accessible COVID testing kits has been amazing uh you know two of our four imperatives and two of nfb's imperatives imperatives one on the uh, accessible medical uh, devices you know the level two and level three devices that are covered by medicare and medicaid whether it be you know, insulin pumps or glucose monitors. Uh, that bill we're 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 all together on, as well as the uh, website and software application accessibility act. We are we were together with Senator Duck's work's office pulling all that together, mm -hmm. and it makes a difference. I really believe it does make a difference, and so um, I. Uh, we're not going to agree on everything, but I believe having a constructive dialogue, John Perret, uh, the advocacy director for NFB and Clark Rockfall, our advocacy director, talk on an almost weekly basis and it, it makes a difference. And so, again, uh, if you can, collaboration is the way to go. 
And it's trickling down too. You know, I shout out to the state of New Jersey who holds a joint town hall um, yep. here in Florida. I'm working with my counterpart. I'm the legislative chair here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've had many conversations. We're planning a town hall here in Florida. So it is definitely trickling down. And and the visible fireside chat mm-hmm. um, was amazing to a lot of folks that yep. it happened, you know, how constructive it was. So, you know, you're inspiring folks all around the country. Sheila, who's up next? And thank you, Jane, for, for your comments. DJ. DJ. I need to grab that got it button. All right. All right. We'll go. come back for DJ. Yep, we'll come back to DJ. Here oh, I am. Oh, there Here you we are. go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's got oh, myself dear. in trouble between DJ and JC earlier. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, Hello, <boy>. DJ. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Dapper Dan. First of all, number one, congrats to you. Uh, kudos to you on the fine job that you have done as president of ACB. I count myself being, and I'm not a proud person, but I count myself being proud to be a member of this August body. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're talking to ACB, NFB, XYZ, whatever, at the end of the day, we're all the same, even though we may be different. The sameness is that we're all blind, we're all low vision or totally blind, and we are striving for the same goals. We may have to approach getting there in a different way, but we all strive for that. I wish nothing but the best for you in your new uh, position as you continue now a new part of your journey. Um, You and Leslie Spoon have been uh, nothing more than a blessing to me and uh, being a uh, past president of my local chapter and still serving in FCB as well as in the ACB community. I count it a pleasure and I count it joyful uh, to do so and to be able to know such a person as yourself. um, I just count it. Uh, a pleasure and noteworthy to Anthony. I see bigger and greater things on the horizon for you, my friend, Uh, not only at the local level, not only at the state level, but even at the national level. And you heard it first right here on Sunday, April 2nd (laughs) in the year 2023. Again, uh, it is a pleasure and I look forward to uh, being even more involved in ACB, especially ACB community. I do facilitate a call on, on Mondays at 10 o'clock. I'm just so happy, glad to be a part of this August body. Again, thank you so much for allowing me to share in this platform. God bless. Hey, Love DJ, you guys. I got a thank question you. for you. So I hope I have an you, answer. You, you, you're a regular participant in the morning presents call. So tell me what, what juices you up about that? What, what gets you uh, excited to go be part of that call most mornings? Because I am surrounded by and joined with many, many persons whom I have come to make friends and have bonded with. Mm-hmm. And it feels like I've known them forever and a day. And I am encouraged by them. And I pray that I would 
have some kind of part in encouraging them as well. And it's just being a part of looking forward to waking up in the morning and sharing with our community friends, whatever the topic may be. And as I always say, those letters, W-O-O, window of opportunity. And it doesn't last long. So you might as well take it and grab a hold to it. But I love being a part of this community. And that's one of the first things, you know, it's a great way to start your day by yeah. being able to join the community, no matter where you are mm-hmm. in any part of the world. It's a great way to start your day. And I recommend it to everybody. Good plug. All right. Absolutely. Who, who do you? you yeah. <laughs> if you would like to join those morning calls, you can send an email to community at acb.org and let them know that you would like the daily schedule. Those meetings happen every month, every morning at 9 a.m. And usually on Fridays, you catch me there streaming. So <laughs> you never know who's going to pop up. Sheila. Thank you, DJ. Sheila. Who All is right. Next. Brooks. Ron Brooks, you got a are, are Ron you got, the rapper. You got a rapper. Hey, we got hey, Ron the hey, rapper. Hey, the, the new hey, hammer. Hey, when I was growing up, <laughs> the stuff we did on Saturday was forgiven at church on Sunday. It's now Sunday afternoon, so let's move on. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yes, sir. So first, so first off, yeah, right. Master not. So anyway, um, let me, um, first off, Dan, congratulations. I think the board made a very good decision. Um, and I agree, this, is, uh, this was a, a really logical direction to go for, for a while. So you're in an interesting spot um, as an interim director. So I guess my question would be this, given that the process to select a permanent director may take you know, a number of months. I mean, it, it, I don't think it's in anyone's interest to rush. So you could be there for a little bit. Do you see your role as primarily keeping the wheels on the bus or do you have an agenda that maybe is different or directions that you would like to go that maybe we haven't been able to go up till now? Do you have your kind of your own set of priorities? And if so, you know, where do you see uh, taking the organization in the time that you're here for whatever that is? Sure. Great question. Well, uh, thanks, Ron, for that question. And I think first it's to, basically do no harm, right? It, it's truly to keep the kind of um, the staff and all the good work they're doing, don't get in the way of all that good work that's already taking place, right? That has been developed here uh, over the past five to 10 years. And, and so I think that's my, my number one thing is you, you don't come into a role like this and say, I'm going to change everything. No, <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of things really, really working fantastic. Um, I do think there's an opportunity when you're kind of you know, a new set of uh, ears, I'll say not eyes on the, on the situation <laughs> um, that, you know, there's an opportunity maybe if there's a couple of things that uh, you know, are, are kind of a, a, a little little in a transition phase right now uh, that maybe uh, I can play a role of kind of getting those smoothed out and a good process put in place uh, before we hand it over to the, to, to the next permanent executive director. Uh, one of those areas, uh, I'll be honest with you, is, um, you know, our IT infrastructure and we, we, we have quite a hodgepodge uh, where we have different 
individual different organizations that are supporting different parts of of our IT infrastructure, whether it be the Louisville Web Group that supports our ACB.org and, and those functions, um, Electric Eye and the work they do with registration and kind of things we bolted on to uh, to Donor Perfect, like AMS and registration and uh, members.acb.org. So there's kind of different pieces and parts there, and uh, Kelly Gask and Rick Morin. Deb Cook Lewis, Jeff Bishop, some of Nancy Marks Becker, we've all kind of talked about, you know, is there a way to get a more um, kind of cohesive long-term IT strategy? And that might be something that we spend, a, you know, some cycles on here over the next uh, year. Um, then uh, we're, we're kind of in a transi transition phase when it comes to resource development. Uh, Eric's done, and, and Clark and team, Tony, everybody has played a role. We've done an amazing job of developing um, relationships with a lot of our corporate partners, but I think there's a limit of how much more those uh, relationships can can grow in the resource development area. You know, how much, you know, you know, how many, uh, how much more are you going to get out of, you know, work partners that have been very, very good to us. And so there's two other legs of the, the typical resource development stool uh, that I think there's an opportunity for us to really focus on. One, which we're getting the ability to do that now by moving JoLynn Bailey Page into our full-time uh, grants writer, as well as our uh, uh, associate um, resource development director. And that's really focusing on getting our organization to the point where we can apply and receive that next level of grant funding from foundations. So there's a work to be done in that area, which could be transformative for ACB, as well as truly developing individual donors. Most non-for-profits, 80% of their revenue comes from individuals. In ACB, that's kind of uh, you know upside down, where we typically only get 30 or 40 percent of our revenue from individual donations, and I don't necessarily mean by that our members. Um, you know, there's a lot of individuals out there who care a lot about our community of blind and low vision folks. Is there a way to develop those relationships, and from that? see uh, some significant growth in, in individual donations, uh, state gifts, this type of thing. So um, I think there's some work there uh, with Bill Reeder and JoLynn Bailey Page and now Colby Garrison to really, we, for the first time, we truly have a development team. And as you know, you, Ron, you're a person in business yourself. You can only do so much if you don't have the revenue uh, to hire the people to do the work. And so I think that's an area where I can hopefully uh, continue to 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 develop our organization. Well, shout out to Ron. That was a fabulous question and accessible avenue and the transportation calls. Um, what is it every fourth Wednesday? 
third Wednesday. Third Wednesday. So look for those look for those transportation calls. They are great, and I can say that because I was on the last one. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a lot of good work, you and Gabe, and everybody with transportation down in the South Florida area. We have, and a lot of that is thanks to some guidance from Ron. So you know, without without him pointing us in the right direction and helping us avoid some of the wrong directions, I don't think we would have. Um, and all of those. By the way, I'm so proud of this. All of those changes were implemented starting yesterday. So oh, we should see some really great stuff down cool. here in Miami over the next few months. Well, you're rubbing off on us. At Greater Orlando Council of Blind, we had Chris Bell on to talk to us about <laughs> accessible pedestrian signals. And we've got uh, Tom Babcock and, and a team, Sherry Brunn from NFB, where yeah. we're, we got a group pulling together to start talking about transportation needs in Central Florida. So, Ron, if your ears are burning, we may be reaching out to you soon <laughs> <laughs> you know and and following on ron i'm sure you know you were listening to the sessions at legislative leadership um and there were a lot of good ideas and and growth conversation there too that i'm sure over the next few months especially after convention you'll start looking at sheila i think we have time for one more question and we'll throw it out to clubhouse if there's one in there as well before we transition to oco well, Herbie doesn't have his hand raised, so I'm assuming nobody in the clubhouse, but you've got Lynn Corral. All right, Lynn. Well, well Dan, first, first, first of all, I'm part of your fan club. I really am. And I want to know if you thought about, because I always think that things mushroom, like my Jewish group. I mean, it's really mush- mm-hmm. mushroomed on, on ideas. But one of the things that um, I want to know is, did you anticipate all the collaboration, which is my one of my favorite words, and also... I think you have to have curiosity and I want to know what you think about curiosity. And did you have a smidgen of understanding of what you would be as president and now executive director? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, um, I, I don't, you know, circumstances have so much to do with um, what do you say? You know, you make plans and then life happens yeah. <laughs> and That's then you adjust the goes, those right? plans. Yeah. That's, That's the way it kind of goes. Um, but I think the attitude and approach you have, I, I agree with you. You, you got to be curious. You got to be willing to say, um, take a risk. Um, I don't know how you've been through your life experiences, but it, Leslie and I talk about this. You know, we're getting a little older now. Leslie's much younger, but I'm getting a little older. Um, but, you know, we look back and say, Every time, for the most part, we were willing to take a risk and try something new, it's worked out pretty well, you know. And so, who moved my cheese? I love the conversation we had about that during uh, during (laughs) a recent leadership conference, and hopefully it's making us think a little that way. Change will happen. We, We can't stop it, but taking the risk and how we adjust to it, I think, makes makes all the difference. It, it really does. And you can't take crazy, uncalculated risk. But like you, I liked your word, curious. The more you kind of say, hey, let's try this. Let's see what happens. And I think the community event platform is a wonderful example of this. If you've got an idea and you're willing to take the risk to go out there and facilitate a call, throw your name in the hat, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't think, yeah. Anthony, I don't think you knew what your show would be, you know, 
three or four years ago when we first talked in 2020, when you went to your first <laughs> DC leadership call. Sheila, yeah. I don't think you thought you'd be doing a recipe call for <laughs> three, three years. years. Yeah, really? Lynn, so I, think, I don't, Jewish I, hour, you were probably like, oh gosh, is anybody going to want to talk about the, the you know, exactly. and look, look where that goes. And then it builds off each other. Right. And, and then, you start getting these these collaborations. It says, "Well, why right. can't this group get that's with right. that group?" And yeah, that's we're, we're I, doing stuff with MCAC. We're yeah. doing an anti-Semitism workshop during the convention. I mean, yeah. we're doing all this stuff because I say this isn't my group. This is everybody else's group. Yeah, you know? right. And and if you can get to that approach where it's not like this is my castle and my moat and I'll have to give you permission to lower the drawbridge so you can come in. And we can, we can get that way pretty easily sometimes at ACB, right? We can get really territorial, but if we can get beyond that, gosh, I think the sky's the limit. I, I really do, you know, and again, kind of the role, role now as being the executive director, I think a lot of that is wherever possible, getting the staff, connected with members because when you when you have that combination i think you get the best of both worlds i i've seen it with the dc leadership conference and all the wonderful panels that the advocacy steering committee has put together with clark and swatha and team when you get everybody working together it's rowing in the same direction as people like to say it's I amazing agree. i it's agree amazing, and so. karaoke was was my one of my favorite ones it was great i loved yes. it yes you were fabulous oh, last it, night as well <laughs> everyone was it was fantastic right yeah <laughs> thank you yeah. sheila thank you um herbie and thank you dan and thank you to, uh thank you anthony always yeah and, that, oh, and that's another example that's people taking a risk right doing something out of their comfort zone and yet it turned out to be one of the best karaoke's they've had in months yeah Absolutely. And like our great past president, Abraham Lincoln said, you cannot be afraid of taking a risk. You cannot be afraid to fail because if you don't fail, then you can't succeed. So Dan, I want to thank you. I want to thank Leslie. Thank your mom for us, for allowing um, (laughs) us to have this time with you. I know you'll be back on Sunday edition at some point, but um, this has been great. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the show. All right. All right. Well, I'm not going to take a break because I know a lot of people are out there are anxiously awaiting this next conversation. So, Michael, come on up and uh, let's talk. Hey, Anthony. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. It's been a while. Like so how was ago. your great U.S. tour? <laughs> how many, how many cities did you hit? 12? No, even more. We, we traveled from Miami all the way to Boston with a lot of cities in between, then did mid, do a bit more like mid uh, US. And then we also went to season. So I think in, in general, we at least went to 20 plus cities. Well, I would like to say that Sunday Edition and and the American Council of the Blind is responsible for all those many, many downloads in the um, iPhone app store of the OCO app. But um, you guys did a great amount of, of getting out there and letting our community experience the app. But um, I do want to ask, what was CSUN like? That was your first time, right? Yeah, it was indeed the first time because we, I mean, we're still a very young company. Um, and indeed, CSUN was amazing. I mean, there were so many people that we uh, had met, um, also some companies. We also had, the, <laughs> we were fortunate enough to meet Steve Wonder. Um, he, he, <laughs> he sometimes goes there. It's, it's either a hit or a miss. 
Um, but we were fortunate enough to show him as well the OCO application, and he was also amazed by it. So that was really, really great. And we actually were there with the three founders, uh, so myself, William, and then Vincent. So it was really quite intense uh, three days. Yeah. But that's, so that's, of course, positive. <laughs> the folks that are listening today and the folks that are here on the call got to see the brief bio of, of the, you know, the evolution of OCO. But take us back to the beginning. How did it all start? And tell us a little bit about who you were before OCO. Yeah, sure, sure. Maybe I'll also quickly, just for all the audience, introduce myself, because I indeed did it through, uh, through the bio. Uh, but for our listeners, I'm uh, Michiel in Dutch, or you can also just uh, call me Michael. That's that's way easier. Um, but basically, we are based out of Belgium, although there's uh, some news that I want to share with you a bit later on. But basically, we are from Belgium, um, and we started our company, which is called AYES. That's A-Y-E-S instead of E-Y-E-S, um, although we pronounce it the same. But basically, we, we started off, it's now almost two years ago during the summer of uh, 2021. Um, and basically we started off due to the fact that we have a blind family friend uh, who is called Kenny. And back then it was uh, still quite some COVID, still some lockdown. You couldn't see that many people um, like relatives or them instructors or anything else. Um, and he, he, he was actually the one that was telling us about his challenges while navigating outdoors as a blind person here in Belgium. And of course, as, as three young co-founders, we didn't really know that much uh, being blind or visually impaired. Uh, so we learned a lot of the, like, the challenges that he faced, but quickly we learned that there's a lot of people throughout the world that are, throughout the world that are blind and visually impaired. And we also got to know that there's so many great technologies that are being developed. Of course, like a wide gain, a guide dog, it's technologies that have been there for decades and which are tremendously good to navigate around. But we, and including myself, we are all uh, computer scientists, um, but we've specifically um, specialized ourselves in artificial intelligence. Um, and that's actually exactly where we were working at uh, three specific companies doing AI. But we got to know, of course, with the knowledge of our blind friend, we started to realize if, for example, a self-driving car like a Tesla or any other brand, if that car can drive autonomously at the highway at, let's say, 60 miles an hour, why can't we use the same technology to assist blind and visually impaired people navigate the sidewalk, crosswalk at three, four miles an hour, or maybe with a guide dog a bit faster? Um, and that's exactly how our story started. But in conjunction, we also got to know the market a bit better. And we got to know that, of course, in Europe, uh, it was a case, but quite quickly realized that it's a global issue. But the issue that I'm talking about is the fact that a lot of cities have difficulties with making their city accessible for blind and visually impaired people or even other types of disabilities. And very specific to our story, we got to know that making a pedestrian traffic light um, so a pedestrian crossing accessible with, for example, an audible signal is not always done. Um, I think even some cities are doing a great job, but mostly in general, a lot of cities have like a couple of percentages of their traffic lights that are audible 
or even have like a vibration tone. For oh, our listeners are, are familiar. There's a lot of advocacy going on in the United <laughs> States and cities like New York won some settlements and other cities are battling, but um, continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what, what we first got to know, of course, here in Belgium. Then we saw it's a thing in Europe. And then immediately we saw it's also in the US. It's in every other continent uh, on the earth. Um, and basically a bit linked to, of course, like the audible speaker. Um, of course, it's an expensive, uh, yeah, let's say, device to uninstall everywhere. And I think in the US, it's even more costly than it is here in Europe. Uh, but on the other hand, also maintaining these devices can be cumbersome uh, or they just don't do it in, in a sense. Um, which is, of course, yeah, in, unintended for, for the use case um, that it's intended for. And there's also a bit of, and it's what we got to learn more, of, of course, through the four weeks that we were in the US. There's a lot of inconsistency of types of APSs. Um, some of them make like an uh, audible beep, uh, beep. Some of them announce a street. Uh, there's multiple types of, of different APSs, which might make it a bit even more difficult. Um, but then we, we, we got to learn, of course, all those things, but then we started to realize that the smartphone, um, has become the, the number one tool for all people in the world, including blind and vision impaired people. Um, and we, we started to think again, if self-driving cars can drive autonomously, why can't we use the same technology to assist blind and vision impaired people? And that has led us to develop the OCO app. Uh, which is OKO, and indeed you can uh, go and download it in the app store if you like and test it out. But basically what we focused on as a first important functionality in the OKO app is the ability to recognize the pedestrian traffic light status. And basically how we, we do it or how you can uh, use the OKO app, we leverage the back camera um, to visually uh, analyze your surrounding. And of course, whenever you reach an intersection and may that be with like your white cane to reach the truncated tomes, or you just know, uh, feeling it at the curb or anything else, what most people do is they take out their phone, point it at chest level or hold it at chest level, I need to say. Um, and even for more comfort, you can just put the phone against your chest. Um, and again, with the back camera, towards the direction that you're walking in. Um, and basically what we do is we use a camera and that means that we can interpret the visual surrounding. And then in conjunction with artificial intelligence, we can analyze those imagery data and can analyze whether there is a traffic light, a pedestrian traffic light, but also to determine what the status is. So a walk, a don't walk, and a countdown uh, signal in the US. Um, and basically what we then do whenever one of these three types or statuses are detected, we inform you about that status through audio, haptic and visual feedback uh, to really maximize the amount of uh, feedback mechanisms that we can deliver to the user such that the user can just, as a preference, choose whatever uh, to use what type of feedback. But to give you an idea, um, Whenever a don't walk signal is detected, you will hear or feel a very short beep. Um, it's a bit similar to what an APS does, an APS locator tone. And it is also, of course, intended to do that. 
because of course we want to make it very easy um, to use our app in conjunction with uh, an APS, Navigator. for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a walk signal is, of course, a much faster beep. Um, it's very intuitive. There's also a play feedback button in the app if you uh, first open the app to onboard to be become, um, yeah, let's say, acquainted with the information queues. But more importantly, and that's something that we actually learned um, throughout the four weeks that we were in the US, but very importantly, is that our software also helps with not veering off into traffic. Because um, of course, I, ha I haven't mentioned it yet, but our technology runs locally on the smartphone. So no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection required, which is of course a beautiful thing. Uh, but it means that we of course, uh, today can only deliver our service on iPhone because iPhone is the only device right now that is powerful enough to run our complex software on. But talking a bit more about why we are running on locally, so no Wi-Fi, no cellular. The moment a traffic light is in sight, you'll immediately feel feedback, which is very instantly. Haptic feedback. But that yeah, haptic feedback or, or the audio feedback, depending on the, what you prefer, of course. Um, but the reason that you feel it instantly means that it also helps with veering off. So imagine you're at an intersection, the walk signal is activated and you'll feel a very fast beep indicating that the walk signal is on. When you also uh, know with your own hearing and you know that it's safe to cross, you initiate the crossing. And what people or most people do is they hold their phone at chest level while crossing. And the moment that you're veering off, either left, right, that will be the moment that the phone will become silent. Um, and that means that you're veering off because the, the traffic light is not in line of sight anymore. Um, and what and we that always leads to a bunch of questions that, because <laughs> I think you can answer this right here, a bunch of questions that we got via email was, is it reading the crosswalk itself or is it angling to the pedestrian crossing or traffic light device itself? Yeah, it's, it's looking right now, it's looking at the pedestrian crossing. So um, in very traffic engineering terms, it's called a pedestrian head, which is, a, what is it, 16 by 8 box, uh, showing visually a red hand to indicate don't walk and a white walking person to indicate the walk signal. So that's the only thing that our software is currently looking for. But of course, and maybe... And one of the questions from the audience, of course, we are a very young company and we're always evolving our technology. And one of those things is also um, assisting with locating the uh, zebra crossing or two lines where pedestrians uh, should cross the street. And that also then leads to situations where, for example, a crossing with no pedestrian light can also be very useful to uh, navigate with our app. Yes, that is a question that came in. Um, another question that came in around that same topic is, are you working on being able to recognize the wordings, um, you know, stop, don't walk, um, walk, and other various types of crossing signals? Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a question that uh, came up quite frequently. Um, I, although I need, do need to say that 
um, as a sighted person traveling uh, in the US, I haven't seen such a uh, pedestrian light yet. I, some people told me that, that those lights are a bit old and outdated and that they're changing it with like the the more newer one, the which are indeed ones. The, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the red hand and the white walking person. Um, but indeed, some people have mentioned that there are sometimes Richie like letters don't walk and walk as as the indication of, of the pedestrian hit. Um, but the, the beauty of, of course, artificial intelligence is that all it needs is a lot of data. And of course, that's that's a challenge. But whenever you learn from these new traffic lights, um, our AI will adapt and also, um, let's say, transform that uh, into any audio or haptic uh, signal. But most so of the majority, most of the majority of the traffic lights are more like the newer ones, in my yeah. opinion. So user feedback is really important. How are you collecting user feedback and what is that aiding in, in the development of newer of ad, new additions to the software? Yeah, that's indeed a great question. So um, it has been since day one and it is still, we are, or our company is a co-creation with the community, with the blind and vision impaired users. Because um, we always want to strive to have a better user experience, but also deliver functionality, features, whatever that the people really need. Um, and that's why we are always uh, collecting so much feedback. The easy thing, of course, if you go into our application and into the settings, um, there's also already a contact us button, which opens up uh, an email, which will be then sent to feedback at eyes.ai. Um, so that's one opportunity, let's say, to reach us. Um, but we are always also going to work on like newer additions to make it very easy from our perspective to engage with the users in the app. So probably in a couple of updates from now, um, we will also query people in the app, maybe with a notification or a pop-up um, to give short feedback on any other topic that we may want to uh, get feedback on. But we always encourage people to maximize <laughs> providers feedback through any type of channel, our website, social media, email, uh, whatever works. And we're going to get all that contact information towards the end of today's session. Um, another set of questions, because it came from multiple people. We've got a lot of members that are in our sister country, Canada, our neighbors mm -hmm. to the north, and they're not able to use the app at the moment. Is there any um, information on whether it will be available to Canadians anytime soon? Um, it, it, it's right now, I don't have like a, a clear answer for that. The, the, the good reason is, of course, we were developing AI, which is uh, assisting people to cross the street in a safe way um, and to ensure that we uh, are developing our AI from one country to another. Um, so for example, the AI to recognize traffic lights in Europe is a completely different algorithm compared to, for example, in the United States. So the same is also true for Canada or any other country. But the great thing is, and that's the, the, the great news that I wanted to share, is that from May onwards, we or a part of our team will be moving to uh, the New York area because um, we felt the immediate valuable impact that we have on the United States is so much more than here in Europe. And people really love our technology. They engage with us. So 
that's why we decided to full focus on the US. So we hope to, of course, Canada visually, I mean, talking about more like technicalities, the pedestrian lights in Canada are a bit different maybe compared to US, but not that different. Um, so we hope to um, be able to launch there as soon as possible. Uh, but now I can't really give you like any time uh, timeline of, or time frame. A couple of different questions in different forms, but I'm um, summarizing came down to, will the app grow at some point to be able to recognize true crosswalks and be able to help line you up for the best cross possible? Yeah, that's that's uh, what I quickly touched upon, like being able to recognize uh, the zebra crossing, so the the, the black and white um, zebra crossing, or like the two lines where pedestrians should, should line up and cross the street. So I think that's also a very important thing. And if you link it then with like, for example, the pedestrian light, then you, you're very, uh, you're a very helpful tool um, at being able to cross the street in a safe, but also a straight way. So we're always trying to, together with the users, find like how we as engineers can make things uh, better for them. But I think maybe, yeah, talking a bit more about like features and, and functionalities, there's already a new functionality here in Belgium, which is called Transit. Um, and I maybe touched upon that to you, Anthony, before. Yeah. But what, what we do for the listeners, um, what we've developed is a system that again, uses your camera, again, artificial intelligence, to um, convey which type of bus is in front of you if you're waiting for a bus stop. Because of course, timetables might be off. There's multiple buses stopping at your bus. So what we do, imagine being at a bus stop. Again, you elevate uh, your phone around chest level. The moment that a, a bus is arriving at your stop and we recognize the bus, of course, visually, the phone will become, uh, the phone starts vibrating to indicate a bus is inside. And again, then based a bit on, about like uh, distance uh, and lighting conditions in a, in a couple of feet away or uh, multiple feet. I'm not so good in, <laughs> in, in meters conversion to feet. So do apologize. <laughs> but um, based on the distance, it will speak out the line number and the uh, destination that is in front of the bus. Um, so again, I don't know where the listeners are from. But hypothetically speaking, line 80 uh, driving towards Miami downtown, that's the feedback that you'll get um, and such that you know that the, the specific bus is arriving at your stop uh, is the one that you should uh, get in or not. Get on, or the one you don't get on because it's going yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. So so that's, that's an interesting feature that is already live here. And we're also like looking um, how we can launch it in the US. Uh, of course, US is a bit bigger and there's some technicalities that need to be put in place. Uh, but it's a very exciting one. And whenever we tell it to people, they're like, all right, this is also very amazing. Could be also very cool to get that into the, the same application. Now, how about traveling abroad? What what countries is OCO available in? And if we were to travel to, say, Belgium, would we have <laughs> to download a different app than the one that we're using here in the US? No, yeah. So currently the app is available in the United States and Belgium um, and how it goes right now, but that will change very soon. Um, 
the the application is the same. So the OCO application in Belgium is the same as in the United States. But of course, as I mentioned, uh, the artificial intelligence model is different between the two. Um, so internally in your iPhone settings, you we look up which region you are in. Um, so that may be United States or uh, Belgium. And based on that check, we can internally in the OCO application make sure that you're using the, the right AI model. Um, but we, so whenever a US citizen would travel to Belgium, you would need to reset your region, um, which is of course, maybe a bit of a cumbersome thing. Um, and that's why we're thinking about doing it more dynamically based on GPS. Whenever you're here in Belgium, for, ex for example, that based on GPS, our application will notify you like, hey, I've noticed that you uh, traveled from the US to Belgium, for example, uh, might want to consider downloading a new algorithm that will specifically assist you here in Belgium or vice versa, Belgian people traveling to the US. So let's pivot a little bit. When you were at CSUN, I'm sure you got a lot of exposure. Were there any other technology companies that were interested in partnering with you? Um, we, 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 we already have some good relationship with, for example, Envision, because they're from the Netherlands, so that's quite close to us. Um, but unfortunately, like talking a bit about smart glasses, and there's many of, of, of potential smart glasses out there. Um, the question always arises uh, when we talk about like iPhones, people ask us like, oh, yeah, does it also run, for example, on an Envision glass or uh, any other type of smart glasses? But the question then arises and that brings us back to the fact that our OCA application doesn't use Wi-Fi or a cellular connection. Unfortunately, like the, the newest smart glasses can't provide the same speed nor the same camera, uh, battery, uh, camera and battery um, requirements. So unfortunately, we're a bit limited to using a smartphone. Um, but the beautiful thing is, of course, most people already have a smartphone. And that's also why we believe in that vision into focusing so much on software. And of course, down the line, um, hardware will become better. There, I truly believe that at, at some point there might be a smart glass that will truly fit our requirements and people can either buy it or not and run our software on. Yeah, we're hearing a lot of good things about the upcoming Apple Glass, so maybe that's a potential yeah. in the in the yeah. future. Um, we actually we actually did meet some uh, Apple engineers, so hopefully at some point <laughs> we might be the first to uh, to try them out, such that we really make sure that whenever these launches, uh, these Apple Glasses are launched, that we uh, that our Oak Web is also adopted for it. <laughs> that would be awesome. Now, how about folks out there with older iPhones? Are there models that won't that it won't work on? Yeah, um, the beauty of it, we always want to make sure that our technology runs on uh, older devices as well. So we support an iPhone eight and and newer, um, and of course, an iPhone eight is already a bit of an older device. So we're pretty proud that we support those models. Um, so if you're having an older device than an iPhone 8, unfortunately, we can't promise the same speed as we would like to. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the short answer. 
Another question that came in in a couple of different forms was how much space is the app actually taking up um, in general and when it's being used and as additions come, you know, will the, is there a potential that it will come to a point where the data um, on the phone is too much for older models? Yeah, so currently, um, the in terms of megabytes, the OCO application is roughly uh, 90 megabytes, which is is not too much. It's but I would say yeah. I would say I would say average. Um, but the reason why it's 90 and it can be, of course, be optimized, as I mentioned, the OCO application has now two specific algorithms, one for the US, one for Belgium. Uh, but of course, if you're living in, in the US or in Belgium, you don't need to really have both models into your system. So that's why we're at some point going to slim down the app a bit uh, such that you only have one model. And as I mentioned, if you're traveling, you'll have the opportunity to uh, to download the other one just on the go and remove it maybe left, uh, later on. Um, of course, it's good to mention, but um, whenever we also launch new additional features like the transit feature, or being able to assist with crosswalks and lining yourself up, that will probably also require additional uh, storage, as it will mean that we also need to develop uh, new algorithms, and that leads to a bit more storage. But we are always trying to optimize uh, to make it uh, as as small as possible. So here's the big one: How do we maximize using it at night? How do we maximize? <laughs> um, I think that's also a, a fair point to note right now, given that we've just launched it four weeks ago. Um, we advise firstly to uh, use it at daytime conditions or daylight, I need to say, because of course, whenever it's night, there can be a lot of other lights like uh, from supermarkets, from gas stations or anything else. Even headlights. That, um, yeah, yeah that, that, that is like literally blocking the camera and the ability to recognize pedestrian lights. Um, of course, we're quite confident already that it works at night, but we don't state that in the terms and conditions because um, we're constantly evolving. And as we gather more and more data from users or our own, um, we will pretty soon be able to give the same immediate impact, uh, both during daylight and during nighttime. But the beauty of it, um, the users and probably a lot of users have seen it, but there's a privacy setting in, in our application. Mm -hmm. And that means that whenever you see a pedestrian light with our app, you can, if you consent, of course, you can share data of that specific intersection. And the data is an image that will be uploaded to our service, um, which will be internally used to make the AI better all across the US. So you're contributing in a sense to a better product for your own, but also all the people living in your region or just all across the United States. Um, so to maximize nighttime, I would say to use it also quite often during the night, because that means that we can gather more and more data of the night and hence our uh, AI becomes better. I think it's going to be along the same vein of what you've just said, but um, for complicated crossings and things like roundabouts, um, as you encounter the feedback from users, are you developing or thinking about developing different ways to recognize difficult crossings? 
Um, what, what do you really mean about like difficult intersections? Is it a roundabout or? There are, there are some intersections that have islands in the middle where you need to uh, stop in the middle often. There are roundabouts that um, take you off the main road so you can make your turn without interrupting the flow of traffic. But unfortunately, that seriously interrupts the flow of pedestrian traffic. So for difficult crossings like that, um, it, you know, is it in the future to model up to be able to recognize and help in those kinds of crossings? Yeah, sure. I think the, the first one, like... Um, a crossing with a middle middle island so that if I, if I understand correctly it's one traffic light that brings you to the middle island and then another traffic light that brings you to the actual most, end of the crossing most of the time it's just one traffic light but the lanes are so big that they have an, a, a median uh, in the middle because okay. often you can't get across in one traffic cycle uh, okay now i understand it okay um so indeed with like very wide intersections We've noticed that uh, REI uh, might not pick up the light, um, but we, we we actually tested it in the US ourselves. And I think on average, our system now works on seven, eight, nine lanes, depending on the configura configuration. Um, and again, that that is the beauty of it. We need data of those wider intersections. And as people are using it, as, as our team is gathering more data, we can uh, make our system always better and better to also indeed assist with maybe maybe even a much broader intersection. I don't know if it exists like a 10 plus lane intersection. Personally, I haven't seen it, but I have been four weeks in the US, so uh, probably my, uh, my expertise is not there yet. Um, and talking a bit about more like roundabouts, that's also something that a lot of people, uh, both users and uh, O&M instructors ask us about, like, it's a new thing. Um, and, and the good thing is like, it's more or less a European invention. So I'm actually trying to reach out to some O&M instructors here in Belgium, like what the best solution might be for our technology also to assist with those things uh, or situations in the US. So we're always learning as well. And, and that's why we're here as well to learn from our users, from O&M instructors, from anyone um, and see how we can uh, incorporate those things. Well, we'll talk offline because I can definitely um, in, uh, in, uh, introduce you to some great O&M instructors and, and some great ones in New York if if you guys want to, yeah, sure. you are there when you're physically there. Um, yeah, all right, sure, yeah. so I'm going to throw one more out at you before we open it up for our audience. Where do you see yourself, the app, and the company itself in a year, three years, and five years? um that's a that's a good one um three five years is, is quite long given we're only one year and a half company. especially with the speed of ai right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so things things change so uh, drastically and so quickly i think our maybe if i may uh, talk a bit more about like a shorter term sure. um focus i think our focus now is to really get our technology in the hands of as many people uh, and we have, of course, a, a big focus on the U.S., given that we're going to uh, yeah, be there in New York. Um, and, of course, grow our technology stack. Um, we really want to become like an A to B navigation companion where you can use AI for anything. May that be like recognizing traffic lights, getting you on the bus or metro or public transport just in general. 
lining yourself up to cross the street um, and maybe in addition with any GPS technology. Uh, we've been in the past in, in, in uh, discussion with, for example, BlindSquare or other technologies where we feel like combining the AI that we are developing might be very, very useful to link it also with some sort of GPS routing. Because um, of course, GPS is at some times very inaccurate. Um, and to really visually um, interpret the world whenever you're, for example, you're not very quite sure that you're there to find like, where's the door, like really the last mile that we want to solve or very critical things like recognizing pedestrian lights. Um, so in a sense, it's a bit similar technology like self-driving cars, but then for blind and vision impaired people. And one of our dreams as well is being able to uh, let a person run a marathon with our software, because of course, if you're running a marathon, there's so many things that you visually need to interpret and convey that to the user. Um, so yeah, we have, we have big dreams and I think uh, there's a lot of things to happen uh, with a great, great focus uh, on the US. You know, I lied. I have another personal question. You were talking earlier <laughs> about recognizing the bus line. And I know that a lot of people in our community have trouble recognizing Ubers, Lyfts, other types of vehicles that they may, paratransit vehicles that they may need to get into when the driver may not think to um, or may not know that they have a blind passenger. Um, is there any potential in the future of being able to recognize vehicles themselves? Yeah, it might be. I think. It's correct, Anthony. I think a lot of people also uh, ask us like, hey, it's a challenge to get into an Uber or just a taxi in general. Um, we're also in need like opening up the brainstorming, both maybe from users, uh, but also here internally at our team, like how we can uh, assist people to, to get on that specific uh, uh, ride sharing um, car or paratransit or anything else. So I think, AI and the possibilities of, of our technology are endless. Um, if, if, a, if a sighted person can see where an Uber is or anything else, a camera and an artificial intelligence can do that as well. It's just a matter of, of being able to gather a lot of data of that use case, uh, use case sorry, but also conveying in a very intuitive way uh, what feedback that you will get uh, whenever such a use case is detected. Um, so yeah, that's definitely on our radar, uh, and trying to see how we can uh, to to can uh, how we can help with that as well. Awesome! So let's open it up to the audience and see what questions they have. Sheila, who's up first? Ron. I had a feeling Ron would yeah. be the first yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, so my name is Ron, uh, and I am uh, actually involved in the transportation industry uh, around accessibility, and we do. There's a lot of work being done uh, across the country in around wayfinding and navigation in the pedestrian environment and had a couple of questions around, um, I think they're really ultimately integration questions. So uh, one question is, and, and I'm going to ask two, and then I'll go back to mute. So the first question is around integration with uh, connected technology, connected automation, and some of these other things. You know, I'm thinking about uh, so, some of the autonomous vehicle providers. A lot of cities are are, are designing 
you know, smart city grids where you have uh, traffic signals are talking to autonomous vehicles, talking to uh, other kinds of, of signage. Um, they're picking up, you know, data from, from traffic usage. Um, and when you have signals that, of course, are actuated by traffic, I'm just wondering, you know, to help. I mean, AI is part of the equation, but the other part is, is data coming mm-hmm. into the system that, that actually answers the question so that you don't have to rely on, on imagery through AI. Are you looking at those kind of connections, uh, technologies? And then kind of a related question is um, we're having a discussion around you know, apps like Oco are wonderful for folks that obviously have smartphones in their pockets, which is many, but not all. And cities have a legal obligation uh, to make these signals accessible. Uh, it's one they don't always understand or, or embrace. But you know, the, the good part of these technologies is they give the user the ability to do it. The bad part is, is they kind of take away a municipality's initiative to do what they're supposed to do already. Um, and through integration, for example, if, if I had this this app and I could use it to actuate a signal that's already there, um, you know, it might help kind of address some of these issues. Have Have you thought about some of these issues, and how would you respond to those questions in terms of connected technology and and really leveraging some of this other uh, innovation that's taking place? Yeah, sure. Maybe first, uh, it's great to meet you, Ron, virtually. Um, and I think there, those two questions are uh, very great. I think the, the first one is, is very interesting. And I think without going too much into detail, um, of course, you, you've, you've seen that the OCO application is just free to download. And we're more from a vision that we want to provide our service for free or free of charge to the end user. We try to partner up with third parties to facilitate that free, char- uh, uh, free usage. May that be cities, governments, healthcare, that's still a bit open-minded. But I think talking about smart cities, that's a very interesting uh, opportunity also for us. There's more and more cities that are installing smart traffic lights or any type of data that you can think of. Um, and maybe that brings me back to the question that also Anthony asked, like, where do you see yourselves going? Indeed, I totally agree, Ron. AI is, is one part of the equation. Um, I think also just getting data in from cities or cars or anything else is a very crucial thing. And there, that's something where we want to become a pioneer in. And we always say, like, we want to become like some sort of ways uh, for blind and visually impaired people where there's a good interaction between cars or any type of connected vehicle, but also the, the, the human itself. Um, and imagine that you, through OCO, um, can become uh, knowledgeable about uh, cars trespassing red or different types of things that can happen, but also the opposite, uh, informing cars that a blind user is traveling, and hence they should be a bit more cautious, because that's something that I um, got to learn as a European traveling uh, across the US, like turn right on red, these things, or just cars blocking the crosswalk mm-hmm. those things are quite dangerous in my opinion and it's also something where maybe connected vehicles um, can be a very interesting one to partner up um, or just get that data into our OCO application and in that sense it's a bit similar and that's why i wanted to quickly touch upon like our business model we see 
some sort of engagement with cities, also more from a data aspect, because um, they can also gain insights where uh, blind and vision impaired people are walking, and hence maybe they can very uh, data driven uh, make their policy of maybe which streets are being used more, and hence they should be always accessible uh, rather than yeah without without having knowledge or data which streets to to maintain or anything anything else. So there's a lot of things that probably we don't even know yet, um, but I think that's quite normal being a young company. Um, so I think to answer your first question, we truly believe in a collaboration of like getting data from smart cities and the AI that we're uh, working on. And I think your second question was a bit like more, um, if I understand it correctly, indeed cities are obligated to install anything to make the crossing accessible. And of course, these days it's an accessible pedestrian signal and your your feeling is like that our application might be uh, less incentive for cities to install these things right i think yeah, that's, that's sort of where yeah. he was going yeah yeah okay yeah yeah i think it's it's indeed a fair point of course um we're not there to uh or we're as a company not there to replace those audible speakers I think again, which might be very interesting, is uh, linked to the fact that we want to become a data-driven application as well. And of course, partnering up with Citizen is that we can also, um, for example, uh, in scenarios where the OCO application is working perfectly, but maybe in other scenarios where the situation is maybe a bit too dangerous or yeah, I can't think of anything on top of my mind, but what we can do is maybe also incorporate requests for APSs in the in the OCO application, such again that the city knows where APSs should be used more often and hence should be installed. Um, because I was in New York and I was talking to uh, an organization, and they also mentioned like New York is now mandated to install it everywhere, mm -hmm. but some intersections are quite easy to uh, cross and hence might be not very necessary to install it. Um, that was their opinion, of course, not mine. Um, so that's why we see value of being more like a data-driven uh, application to, to uh, get that data towards the city. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> Ron, you have any follow-up? No, that's perfect. Thank you very much. Um, it's a big, you know, it's a big topic. Um, and I love the fact that you're thinking about the connected vehicle technology, because that to me is the bigger play is getting all this data leveraged into the app. Um, because, you know, then it's much more, it's going to be much more accurate you know, in predicting. So thanks. And we're going to get to contact information before we end the call. So definitely take that down, Ron, in case you have other mm -hmm. questions or other um, yep. uh, things for them to look at. All right, Sheila, who's up next? Kirby, we got one in Clubhouse. Yes, indeed we do. Patricia. Okay, I think I'm unmuted now. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, first, I wanted to say, uh, I have a comment and then a question. I wanted to say I have used this app and I really do like it. Um, I know of several people in my area. I live in Daytona Beach, Florida, and I know of several people in my area uh, that have used it and it, it everybody seems to like it the problem i have though and this has nothing to do with your app though 
probably is, you know, you have to like point your camera up and across at the traffic light. And I was able to do it once or twice, but you know, being visually impaired, it's hard to figure out exactly uh, where to point that, uh, you know, that camera, you know, it's across the street somewhere and it's almost probably almost directly across the street, but getting it right on the mark, I have found for myself is a little difficult for me. Um, and the second question I have, I heard that, uh, you, you know, the contact info will be given out at the end of this call. And I appreciate that. I wanted to make sure and ask you, uh, since I have a member of other groups, I would love to have you come to speak to us about this app. And I wanted to, number one, make sure you're open to that. And then number two, since I have to leave early, I will probably uh, get your contact information from Anthony. All right, super nice to meet you, Patricia. <laughs> and definitely, um, we're, we're always open to speak at any event, um, and that's for anyone in the audience. Um, as we're traveling, we're now going to relocate to the US, so we're any, open to anything to, to convey the information, because of course, it's an app that's quite new um, and needs to have like proper information uh, from, from our team onwards. But it's great that you've already used it and you really like it. So that's great. And it's, it was yeah. maybe you've, you've met one of our uh, other co-founders, William. He was in Daytona, uh, but I'm not sure if you were at like the, the, the demo day there. Um, but no, probably there I will be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Patricia, I will put yeah. you and Michael together on an email after the show. Um, thank you so much for being here. Okay. Yeah, I'll maybe, thank you. I appreciate maybe, it. Maybe, if, if, if I may still uh, to answer her question, because she had a question yeah. related to pointing the camera. That's right. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> so basically, I think I just again, might need more practice. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 it's indeed a bit also about practice because we um, always say in the onboarding, like to become uh, or to just get a hang of it, uh, try to use it maybe first with a sighted person or no instructor or, or anything. Um, uh -huh. But basically, what, what we always advise is to put the the the, uh, the phone and the camera against the chest. And the reason why is um, where your body is walking to, the camera is also looking at. Um, and the, the chest level is an ideal height, let's say, to capture the traffic light at the uh, uh -huh. other side of the road. Um, right. The, for example, if you're not catching the traffic light, what we always say is to rotate your body and hence your phone and camera will also rotate a bit so your upper body only rotating not your feet let's say um, and in that sense you can more or less explore the world around you where the traffic light is uh, but mostly yeah. of course we first say you reach the truncated domes you feel maybe with your uh, white cane for example right then you exactly. then you take out your phone or the phone is hanging around a lanyard or anything and then you indeed do that action, put the phone against your chest. The camera is looking in the direction that you're walking. And if you're maybe not pretty lined up, you can rotate a bit left, right. What is it? 10, 15 degrees max uh, to find the traffic light. And the same is true for whenever you're veering off the moment that you're yeah. veering off, you're also mm -hmm. going left or right. And the phone will become silent. If you're then rotating again and you, the camera, uh, picks up the traffic light again, that's the moment that you will uh, get feedback. 
So we always say follow the sound or follow the haptic, um, and you'll you'll find your way into walk don't walk in camp time signals. Michael, Excellent. you might remember Excellent. Susie from our chapter, Excellent. and she's about a foot, a little over a foot shorter than I am. And yeah. we found instead of chest level, she was holding it up closer to the um, her neck area, um, a little okay. bit more towards the right shoulder, and that's where she was starting to. So maybe it also has to, you know, has to deal with your specific body type. Maybe start mm-hmm. at the chest and then play around with it a little bit. Stay at a crosswalk for a while until you get that perfect, um, mm-hmm. you know, feedback, and then from there try it at other at other. Um, go to one. What we did was we went to. Um, crossings that we were familiar with so that we'd have it we already had the idea and then branched out from mm-hmm. there yes yeah, so, so, some and that's maybe also a good tip some people uh do uh if they just want to go out and about themselves they go first to a traffic light which has an aps and then you can directly link it with the feedback that you get from our app yep Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that information. I'm definitely going to keep trying. Thank you again. Yeah, sure. And please feel free to reach out for uh, that talk. I, I definitely will. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thank Sheila, you. who's up next? Oh, I believe it's Mary Beth. Yes, you are right, Sheila. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my question. I'm really excited about this this app. I travel a lot. And um, I I just had a question. First off, um, I'm from uh, Albany, New York, in New York State, not New York City. But I just want to say I'm glad you guys are coming to New York. Welcome. And my question is basically um, for consumers, you know, who've used your app for a while, in addition to, you know, providing uh, data to your company on the app, are there any other things that we can do to assist you um, with this product? Thank you. Yeah, great, great question, and nice to meet you as well. Um, maybe we can uh, catch up whenever we're in New York because we're always trying to engage both virtually and in person. So always happy oh, to do beautiful. that. Oh, I'd love that. That'd be great. <laughs> but to to answer a question, indeed, providing data is, I think, one of the, the crucial things, and it can just auto, uh, happen automatically if you uh, have toggled that privacy setting. Um, mm-hmm. I think what what we are always looking for, and I think as, as a young company, is, is somehow like trying to spread the word um, of our app, but also, as I mentioned, and it's very, very important, getting feedback. Um, we we always look for feedback on how we can th- make things better uh, of the current uh, functionality, but also what you want as a, or feature requests, let's say, uh, what you want to come to the app. Because uh, if we have like tens, hundreds, thousands of people saying this is something that would change things, that will also mm-hmm. drive our team in, in towards a direction that we're making something not for like one person, but for many, many people. Um, so that's why feedback is so important um, to make your or our app as good as it is uh, and to continue to to deliver that service. Thank, Thank you very you. much. You know, the American Council of the Blind has a national convention every year, and this year Uh it starts on June 30th. It'll be in Schaumburg, Illinois this year. It might be a worthwhile investment for the company to have you guys come on out and and test case and use case with some of our members. I'm going to take that break for the moment for you to give all the information where they can contact you, how to download the app, 
Um, and we'll stay on for a few minutes after we go off air to answer any questions for hands that are currently up. So Michael, can you um, tell folks first how to find and download the app from the app store and then how they can contact you or the company, whichever you feel comfortable giving out? Yeah, sure. So the application indeed, which is called OKO, OKO, you can just search it in the app store, in the US Apple app store. Um, it's called OKO AI Copilot for the Blind in full. But I think if you uh, just search for OKO, OKO, you'll, uh, you will definitely be able to download it. I'll probably know that Anthony will also maybe um, distribute a like a, speci a specific link, which is, is, is very useful to uh, then brings you automatically to, to the app store. Um, and personally, you can either reach us through the app, as I mentioned, through the contact us button or via uh, our website. Um, there's numerous of email addresses, hello at eyes.ai, feedback at eyes.ai, or you can just also just write me an email, which is michiel at eyes.ai. Um, maybe again, Anthony, if you may like, you can uh, distribute it as well in uh, parallel. Yeah, with, if you put uh, the link and, and the website link um, in an email, I'll attach it to the show notes before it goes Okay, up. super. That sounds right, amazing. If we have quick questions, I think we have time for two more while we're on air. Sheila, who's next? Lori Scharf. Lori, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. So I have a question um, regarding, hmm, am I correct that you use the ped head to interpret the information yeah that's totally correct okay. because a couple of times the uh light was mentioned so i just wanted to clarify that um additionally in places like new york city where you will find two ped heads on one pole is your system able to differentiate um in that type of situation um, yes, it will, it will differentiate indeed. Um, but indeed it, again, it, it comes a bit down to, um, using our, uh, service also properly. And that's why we always say to, uh, people to hold your phone at chest level. Cause of course, if you're holding your phone a bit wrong into space, um, you might catch up a different light, which is not the direction that you're, uh, traveling in. Yeah. And that's why we. We again got to know talking to users that like pointing the phone uh, towards the direction that you're walking in is ideally if you put it against your chest. Um, so that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, we are... yeah go ahead. I, I, I know of two mobility instructors in New York City that did some testing and did not get favorable results. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, um, that's so... weird. Because we were also well, in a I think it, it was. <laughs> Things like, you know, large vehicles obstructing, um, you know, it, it just becomes very complex. Yeah, that, but that's, that's a good one. Like whenever the pedestrian head is obstructed with a large bus, right. a large mm -hmm. uh, vehicle, of course, the, the, uh, our application will become silent because um, it's the same as sighted people. You can't right. see the pedestrian traffic light after a truck or anything else. Yeah. And same is true for our app. So it always needs to be visually there. But again, if, if you're, for example, standing at an mm -hmm. intersection, you receive the tone mark. And the moment that it will become silent, that means also that there's a truck or anything else that's blocking the traffic light. So um, it wouldn't even make sense to 
um, provide you the walk signal because it's just not safe to cross because you'll bump into any large uh, object. object. Right, right, right. Yeah. Do you think, Michael, that, to... I, do you think, Michael, I, the app at some point will be able to tell you um, it's being obstructed by a vehicle or, you know, I, I'm thinking yeah. about like depositing checks and how the app, some of the apps will tell you <laughs> move left, move right, right corner, not visible. Do you think it'll the app will ever come to a place where it tells you there's a vehicle blocking? Yeah, sure. I think that's also an interesting one that's been going on like internally to convey that information mm -hmm. to the user. Um, so definitely also uh, on our radar. But I think maybe as well for you, um, Laurie, please feel free to let the two RM instructors reach out to us because we've been gathering a lot of great feedback from also OM people in New York. Uh, but I'm happy to uh, to give a chat with them as well and see uh, how we can assist them. Sure. And maybe Anthony to to because you quickly touched upon like the ACB convention. We actually are uh, exhibiting already, <laughs> so we, awesome. that's, that's great news as well to share that we will be there in Chicago. I've just made it uh, official, I think, this week, uh, so we will have a booth there. So that's pretty exciting as well to be there. And and just to add to that, and I don't know how public this is, but our Chicago, our Illinois affiliate has just had a victory in regards to accessible pedestrian yep. signals in Illinois um, and Chicago specifically. Oh, really? And what, what's like the, the new thing then? Or was it a victory? I, I didn't know so, or didn't hear the, feed, uh, the news already. I don't know the specifics. I was involved in the New York City case. So oh, yeah. I just know that I got an email about the Chicago case came to a settlement, but I don't know the terms of it. Okay. All right. Thank you, Lori. I think we can squeeze in one more quick one before we go off air. Sheila? Kirby. We got one. No one. Hey, so good afternoon. How is everyone doing? We're good. What's your question or your comment? So my question is, is the OKO app very accessible? Yeah, sure. It's it's truly accessible with all the voiceover techniques. Um, it's also working whenever screen curtain is on. Um, so those things, of course, goes without saying that those things are in place. Okay. All right. The reason, the reason I'm asking is because I'm actually interested in checking this app out this week because I am thinking about uh, taking a walk around my state of Michigan to uh, practice crossing crosswalks and learning where the stop signs are because then the OKO app, as known as OKO, as voice over mm -hmm. closet, uh, would help me in this regard. So I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Uh, I hope you uh, have a good time using our OKO app, as indeed voiceover says it correctly as we uh, pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you so much, and I appreciate that. And I am looking forward to reaching out to you as well as one of the founders and or the company as well, in case if there's any questions or concerns regarding uh, some bad behavior with the app that I can bring to your attention that may yeah, sure. be 
always happy to any uh, any question <laughs> thank you so much so again folks that is oko you search for it in the app store on the iphone it takes a couple of seconds to download and then you are pretty much ready to go it's it's um a very easy setup process so michael thank you so much for being here um tell your founders your co-founders that we are very, very delighted to have this available to us in the United States. Thanks to Dan Spoon, who was our guest earlier. I will not be here next week as it is Easter and um, we're all going to celebrate, but I'll be back on the 16th with another great show. So everybody have a great Sunday and we'll brunch again together on the 16th. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream one. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.